Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 18. It's where we're going to be this morning, so go ahead and find your place there. I want to start out with a couple of things that are absolutely true this morning. We, we know because of the finished work of Jesus Christ that those who believe can sing what we just sang, it is well with our soul no matter the circumstances, right? We, we can... We can say that. That's absolutely true. But let's get really practical and painfully honest this morning and say, even at times when we can say that and even sing that, it may not feel that way in our life, right? So we're going to get really practical with the Apostle Paul this morning in Acts chapter 18 because here's a... Here's a reality for you and me that I think is going to be really helpful for you this morning and for me as well. And that's this, as followers of Jesus Christ who are pursuing faithfulness and as followers of Jesus Christ and we're wrestling with the flesh and we're battling with our own sin and battling with the sins of others, so to speak, and we... We talked about last week, we live as aliens in this world sometimes. It feels like our message just doesn't seem to line up with the world because it doesn't. And we're trying to make Christ known and sometimes we just, we feel like like aliens like we saw last week. Listen, as we live that way as followers of Christ, there will be seasons in our life where we simply grow weary. Now the word weary, according to Webster's Dictionary, and I probably don't even have to read Webster's Dictionary, half of you in the room just now said, I get it, weary, that's where I'm living. And if you're not living there, as a believer, you're you're headed into a season of where weary is going to be really tempting to be weary, or maybe you're coming out of a season where you're just coming through this season of just weariness, but here's what Webster says. Weary means to be exhausted in strength, endurance, in vigor. Weary means to be, listen to this, weary means to be reluctant to see or experience any more of something. Weary is the idea of, I'm done with it. If you're a UT football fan, you get it, okay? I'm done with it. Moving on. That's the only thing I'm saying today about it. Moving on. On a much more important note, all believers will enter or wrestle with seasons of weariness, brothers and sisters. Amen. So in Acts chapter 18, I I don't know if you've read through it or not, hopefully you have, We're, we're entering into a context with the Apostle Paul that the Apostle Paul is an extremely weary season of his life. Now you may have read right through it and that didn't jump right off the page, but let me kind of support for why I think that's absolutely the case that coming from Athens where Paul just left in chapter 17, he's coming now into the city of Corinth in chapter 18. We know for months and months Paul has experienced the rigors of travel. He's been city to city to city. He, he left Antioch and he's gone up through Asia Minor and he's, you know, they, they didn't have planes, they didn't have trains. I mean, he's on horseback, he's by ship, he's walking, he's put in thousands of miles of rigorous travel. It's been physically demanding on Paul. 
We know it's been incredibly emotionally exhausting on Paul. Every city he's gone, if you've been reading along or you've been with us, you know he's faced stiff opposition of people who don't want him there, people who don't want to hear his message, people who want him dead, and he's literally been chased out of every city, hounded out of every city. He'll go to the next city. Somebody will be hounding him there. It's just been this incredibly emotional strain on the Apostle Paul. Maybe you can relate to that. We know from Acts 16, Paul is facing major health challenges. If you Read through the rest of the New Testament. You know, Paul had a lot of sickness. He had a lot of health issues. Most likely, one of the reasons that Luke, the physician, joins Paul and his team in Acts 16 is Paul is battling with serious health challenges. So Luke, the physician, literally joins the team and says, man, I'm going to go with you and try to take care of you physically. So he's physically challenged. He has health challenges. He's emotionally challenged. Listen, he just left Athens. If you were here last week and you know in Athens he preaches his heart out and he, and he invests there and he tours the city and he's preaching in the synagogue and saw very little fruit in the city of Athens. So he's frustrated and his, his heart is weary. So you come to Acts chapter 18 and you say, well, I've read, how do you know Paul is facing so much weariness? Well, later on, Paul writes back to the church at Corinth, the letter of 1 Corinthians, and here's what he says about his visit in Acts 18 that we're getting ready to read. 1 Corinthians 2, 3, you don't have to turn there. Paul says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, we're getting ready to read about that right now, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. We're going to read in just a second where the Lord Jesus literally appears to Paul in a vision, one of six visions that Paul experiences in the New Testament. Jesus literally comes and pays Paul a literal visit and says this to Paul. We're going to read this in just a minute. He says, do not be afraid any longer. Why? Because Paul was fearful. You say, you're talking about the Apostle Paul, right? This giant of the faith that wrote the majority of our New Testament. And this, this giant of the faith. Are you telling me he had grown weary? Absolutely. Jesus goes on and says to him, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Paul. Paul had to be encouraged by Jesus himself. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't grow silent. Keep on speaking. Paul is a weary saint as we come to Acts chapter 18. And man, I think that's going to be incredible application and help to other weary saints who face the similar seasons of life. Amen? Weariness. So look with me. I'm just going to read a few verses. We're not going to attempt to tackle the whole chapter. I'm going to read a few verses here at the beginning. And then we're going to try to make some application to our life quickly this morning. Verse 1 it says this, after these things, there's a lot packed in that phrase. We just said about all that Paul had experienced over the last few months. After these things, he leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. If you know anything about your New Testament history or you've studied it all, you know the name Corinth ought to ring a bell in your ear. If Athens was the cultural capital, Corinth is sin city, all right? It's just a wicked, debauched city of gross immorality. If you wanted to speak to someone's immorality in this day, you would call them a slang word. You would refer to them as a Corinthian <laughs> because it was such a wicked city. 
There was a temple in the city of Corinth to a a pagan god called Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And every evening from this temple, thousands of temple prostitutes would go out at evening. And they would go out and they would practice their trade, if you will, in the city of Corinth. Just a wicked city. So you can imagine, Paul, and here's why this is so important. Paul shows up, he's tired, he's weary, he's worn down. Man, he's thinking, and I'm walking into this city where temptation is just everywhere. And it was. The city of Corinth. So he continues on, verse 2, and he says, And he found a Jew named Aquila. A native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And you've probably heard of Aquila and Priscilla, this couple. And we'll speak more about them in just a minute. They evidently came from the church in Rome. They were run out of Rome, it says, by Claudius, verse 2, who was the emperor, who had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So they leave Rome and they come to Corinth, verse 3. And because they were of the same trade, Paul stayed with them. And they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. Verse 4, and he, Paul, was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came to him, they had been dispatched to other cities from Athens. And then Paul goes to Corinth and now Silas and Timothy, they come back to join Paul there in Corinth. Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 6, but when they resisted and blasphemed. Same story, if you will, that is encountered in many of the cities where Paul goes. He's he's sharing the Messiah and the synagogue first. And they reject, they blaspheme, Scripture says. He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now I am going to the Gentiles. It was kind of a Jewish euphemism in those days. It went, okay, I've held out the truth to you. You've rejected. It's your responsibility. The blood be on your head. I'm going to the Gentiles, Paul says. Verse 7, then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. He didn't go very far. He just went next door, which is kind of funny. Paul, Paul always had a heart for his Jewish brothers and sisters. He didn't get far from the synagogue. So he goes next door to this guy's house. Verse 8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed. Even in the midst of Paul's weariness, God is continuing to use weary Paul. And the synagogue leader believes. He believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard what was going on there, were believing and being baptized. Verse 9, and the Lord said to Paul in night by a vision. Here's what I referred to earlier. The Lord says to Paul, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Verse 10, for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Verse 11. And he settled there a year and six months in Sin City. The last place Paul thinks he's going to settle, Corinth. He stays a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. Now what I want to show you very quickly are a couple things. When Paul enters Corinth, he's a weary saint. 
By the time we get to verse 11, he's ready to plant his life there for a month and a half and continue the ministry that's going on there that God's doing in Corinth. So here's my question, and here's what we're going to chase. What is it that God used here and God uses in your life and my life to encourage weary saints? What is it? I'm going to show you two things very quickly this morning. Here's the first one. God uses godly friends. Look back at verse 1. This is huge. So it says, after these things, Paul leaves Athens. He comes to Corinth. Okay, we get that. And he found a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. Now, if you know the rest of Paul's writings, or you've read Romans, or you've read 1 Corinthians, you know that the name Priscilla and Aquila come up quite a bit in the writings of Paul. Evidently, this couple, they came as believers, God intersects their life with Paul's, and they became the source of great encouragement to the Apostle Paul. Over in Romans 16, you don't have to turn there, Paul writes about Priscilla and Aquila. He says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Jesus. This is sometime later, he says, they're my co-workers. They've become very tight, this couple. In fact, he says, this is Romans 16, 4, in fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Verse 19 of 1 Corinthians, he says this, The churches here in the province of Asia send their greetings in the Lord, as do Priscilla and Aquila, and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. So Priscilla and Aquila, they they provided some type of ministry of encouragement to the Apostle Paul. He said, they were even willing to give their lives for me. They are my co-workers, and throughout the rest of the New Testament, you hear their names come up over and over. Verse 3 here, he says, Luke, talking about his time in Corinth, says, and because they were of the same trade, he stayed with them. So evidently, Priscilla and Aquila come alongside the Apostle Paul, and they provide an incredible strengthening ministry of encouragement. They bring Paul into their home, and they take this weary saint, and they provide what I love to see when the body of Christ provides. One member of the body of Christ come alongside a weary member of the body of Christ, and they strengthen one another. That's the way the church is supposed to work. So I'm going to give you a couple life application principles here. Here's the first one. Life application number one, God gives grace to weary saints through godly friends or godly brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a pattern that you see in the life of Paul. If you chase Paul through the New Testament, you hear him referring to brothers and sisters in Christ by name who refreshed him, who encouraged him, who built him up, who strengthened him. I don't want you to miss here that the Apostle Paul walks into Corinth spent his tank is empty even Jesus recognizes it to the point where later you're going to see Jesus makes an appearance to him but God in his faithfulness sends Aquila and Priscilla with this gift of encouragement to breathe life into the heart of the apostle Paul and I just got to tell you, I'm, I'm preparing this message this week, and I'm thinking about it, and I knew it was going to be one of those moments where I say this, and I look out over this crowd, and I got to let you know, I'll just speak for Jennifer and me. I'm seeing some faces of brothers and sisters in this room have faithfully been that to us. 
And I want us to continue to grow as a body of Christ that realizes, man, the, the, the body is to work this way. There are seasons that one member of the body goes into a season of weariness and heaviness. And man, where you're just ready to quit. And you're just ready to throw in the towel back to where I've had enough of it. And then the other part of the body of Christ is to come around and put an arm around and speak a word of challenge or a word of encouragement or practice hospitality or get in one another's face in a loving way and say, what's this? How are you doing, brother? And watch. And then listen to the response. And I just be honest, I can't tell you how encouraging it is. Like Priscilla and Aquila, I imagine they got in the face of the Apostle Paul and they saw a weary brother in Paul and they said, man, we know what you've been through and we know the ministry that you've been carrying out. Here's what you need. And they brought him into their home and I imagine they set up late at night and maybe they set over a meal and maybe they went out to Starbucks. I don't know what it looked like, but they got in Paul's face and they said, brother, how are you doing really? How can we minister to you? How can we help you? And they listened and they They provided the glorious gift of the body serving the body. It's glorious. You see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. John Stott, a commentator, wrote, he said, The Christian's chief occupational hazard, and I'm saying this whether you're a pastor or whether you're a Jesus follower, man, try to live faithfully in this world. The Christian's chief occupational hazards are depression and discouragement. The enemy is coming after your joy, and he's coming after your soul. And day after day after day after day, courage is zapped from you. Amen? That's what discouragement means. Encouragement means courage is breathed back into you. And i got to let you know, the, God in his faithfulness uses one another to do that. So you see a principle here that God gives grace to his weary saints through one another. Let me give you a second application. It's kind of a counterbalance to this. Second one is this. We experience the gift of God's family when we pursue God's family. Say, "Uh uh-oh, you're getting getting a little personal here. Yep. I'm going to get even more personal because it's this important to you. So Scripture says here in Acts 18 that Paul, when he came to Corinth, listen, verse 1 says, After these things, he left Athens and he went to Corinth, verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila and her her wife Priscilla. The word find is not passive. It's not he stumbled over them. It's the idea of to search for. He didn't even know Priscilla and Aquila. That's not the point. The point is the Apostle Paul steps into Corinth. There's ministry to be done. He's aware of his weariness. And he's humble enough to realize I'm not going to make it without brothers and sisters around me. I'm not going to make it. I mean, he, he knew what was going on in Corinth. He knew the temptations that were surrounding him. He knew what the city was like. He knew what he had just experienced. So he goes in with his radar, and I imagine praying to his father daily, God, you got to provide me some brothers and sisters to fight this fight with me in Corinth, or I'm not going to make it. And watch this. He was right. The same is absolutely true for you, child of God. 
if somehow we believe we can continually, day after day, fight sin, we can continually, day after day, resist the temptations of living in Corinth, if we can day to day continue the pursuit of godliness and this pursuit of Christ's likeness, and we think we can do it on our own and pull up our bootstraps like we're some kind of Lone Ranger Christian, that is arrogance and it is foolish. So Paul goes into Corinth and scripture says he found them. And at the end of verse 2 says he came to them. He He presses into community. Some of you are weary of the fight. Some of you are the definition of Webster here, where Webster says in this dictionary, I'm, I'm ready, I'm done with this. I'm ready to throw in the towel. And I'm here to tell you why, because I deeply care for your soul. It's because you're trying to fight the battle on your own. We're not a perfect church. I expected at least one amen there. Roger. Somebody. But we work intentionally very hard. Your leaders and your elders and others work very hard. That there's no one in this church who can say, I just couldn't find some, some degree of community. We work very hard to structure it in a way that there are pathways and there are opportunities for you. Not so someone can say, well, we've got this many in life groups and we've got this ministry going on. No, because as shepherds and guardians of your soul, we believe it is vital for your spiritual survival that you're not trying to run this race by yourself. It's modeled by the Apostle Paul. We experience the gift of God's family when we pursue God's family. Paul pursued it. He was wise enough. He understood the temptations. He understood the condition of his soul. He sought out the family of God. And then we see God was faithful. God sent more family around him. God sent more brothers and sisters. Verse 5. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia... Timothy had been dispatched and he went to Thessalonica. Silas had been dispatched and he went to Philippi. Okay, what does that mean? When, when he comes back into Corinth sometimes, sometime later, Timothy gives Paul a report of what was going on in Thessalonica. Because you remember, he was in Corinth, but he had been in Athens, but he had been in Thessalonica prior to that. And Paul's heart always is deeply concerned about those he had invested in. How are the churches? How are those brothers and sisters in Thessalonica? So Timothy comes down. We pick it up here in Acts 18. And right when Timothy came down, he gave him a good report of what God was doing. And then Paul takes his pen and sits down under the inspiration of the Spirit and writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians back. What happened when Timothy came? Well, we know what happens. Here it is, 1 Thessalonians 3.6. But now that Timothy has come to us, This is happening in Acts 18, what we're reading about. From you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. Watch verse 7. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, Paul was weary, we were comforted about you through your faith. What does that mean? Timothy brought good news. 
Timothy comes from Thessalonica and he brings good news to Paul. Again, the body of Christ is strengthening one another. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's a good report. Sometimes it's just concern. Sometimes it's bringing, it's hospitality, whatever it may be. Silas came from Philippi and he brought financial support. The church at Philippi sent a gift to Paul for his ministry. That's why it says back in verse 5 and 6, then Paul was able to fully devote himself to the ministry of the word. And he didn't have to make tents anymore because Philippi said, listen, what you're doing, Paul, is so important. We want you to be able to devote full time to that. And Paul was strengthened by his brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, here's the question for you and we'll move on to the next one. Are you weary? And are you weary because of some idea in your mind that you're trying to do this on your own? Who is providing this encouragement to you? And I'll take it a step further. Who are you providing this encouragement for? And who can I encourage? Who can I come alongside? Who can I support? Who can I invest in? It's very hard to do that if you're orbiting the fringe of your church. Invest. Who can I encourage? So we see that Paul was strongly encouraged first by his godly friends, his brothers and sisters in Christ. He was encouraged by a second thing, and then we're going to be finished. It's this. He was encouraged by God's presence and God's promises. Look at verse 9. This is just glorious. And Paul's in such a state that the, the, the Lord Jesus is going to speak directly to him. And the Lord said to Paul in night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, Paul, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. I can't can't stress that statement enough. There are moments in this journey of following Christ. You need to take that promise and you need to hold tightly to that promise as a child of God. We just sang about it. I'm no longer a slave of fear. I'm a child of God. Jesus holds out a promise here. As a believer, you are never apart from the presence of Jesus Christ. Ever. He dwells inside of you and you in him by his spirit. But Paul (laughs) needed to be reminded of that reality. And so do you. Jesus said, Paul, don't forget, you're weary, you're tired, you're frustrated, but you don't have to depend on your own strength, Paul. I'm with you. It's my strength that you minister out of. It's my strength that you speak from. It's my strength that you battle sin. It's my strength that you battle in that family. It's by my strength that you try to raise those kids. It's by my strength you go into that workplace. It's by my strength you're trying to hold that marriage together. For the glory of God. Paul, listen, I love this. Jesus speaks exactly where Paul is living There is no weary moment that you live that your Savior Jesus Christ is not perfectly aware of what you're experiencing. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but bears with all of our weaknesses, all of our temptations, yet without sin. All of them. I'm with you. He goes on, he says, no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city I can't tell you how gloriously encouraging that is. Here's what Paul needed to be reminded of. Listen, there is a sovereign God in heaven who will carry out his plan of redemption. 
Paul had to go into Corinth, and maybe every evening he saw these temple prostitutes come out, and it's just this wicked city, and he thinks, can anybody be redeemed here? This is the most wicked place. And God speaks directly to him and says, let me remind you of a reality, Paul. I am the sovereign God who saves. I have chosen to redeem some out of this city, and I'm going to carry out the ministry. Your job, you be faithful. You be faithful. And Paul receives great encouragement from his time in the presence of his Savior. Now watch this. You say, Pastor Mike, so what am I supposed to do in those times of weariness? Or what am I supposed to do? Am I I supposed to hope for a vision and hope Jesus, you know, kind of levitates down and speaks to me? Nope, you got something better. So what are you talking about? You got something better. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said you've got something better. You have his abiding spirit with you continually. And you have the living, active, complete word of God to take and daily be refreshed and nourished. And listen, the promises of God to seep down into your soul. And you are reminded of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. I just got to tell you, seasons of weariness. Times of fatigue, times of discouragement. I'm there. I get them all. I'm a human being. But the extent of which those last and the times in which you come up out of those is directly related to the place you give God's truth in your daily life. I can't stress that enough. Not out of some legalistic, you better read your Bible, son. You better come to the meal and devour the gift God has given you of his word. For the nourishment of your weary soul, Jesus speaks to Paul. Jesus speaks to you through the living word of God. And Paul is encouraged. So what's the outcome quickly? The outcome we see Paul is encouraged by Priscilla and Aquila. He's encouraged by Timothy and Silas. And we see the outcome where he continues to reason in the synagogue even though he faces opposition. He begins to devote himself completely to the word in verse 5. And then the ultimate outcome we mentioned earlier is verse 11. I love this. After Jesus speaks, after he spends time in the presence of his Lord, verse 11. And he settled there. Love that. Because I'll just guarantee you, I want to take some pastor license here. When Paul enters Corinth a few weeks earlier, it's the last place he's saying, you know what, I'm going to set up shop here for a while. He's weary. He's ready to move on. He wants to get to Ephesus and some other places he wants to go. But after the encouragement of the brothers and sisters, after the encouragement of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, no, no, I'm going to set up shop here for a year and a half. Verse 11, for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And the ministry that flows out of Corinth is incredible. Several of the letters that we enjoy in the New Testament were written while Paul was in Corinth. The book of Romans was written while Paul was in Corinth. There are leaders that Paul invested in while he was there in Corinth. From a place of weariness, he is encouraged, he is strengthened, and he is faithful, and God multiplies the extent of that. I'll give you a quick example, and then we're going to watch a short video. Four different names are mentioned here in chapter 18 of Acts 
of people. What was Paul doing for a year and a half? He was investing in people. Aquila and Priscilla, it says, he invested in them. And then you read the rest of the New Testament and over and over and over. This couple, after the investment of Paul, are now serving the church faithfully. Gaius, Titius, Justus, it mentions him. Who was that dude? Well, he becomes a mighty church leader that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes back to because he was a leader in the church. Crispus in Acts 18, 4 and 5 comes to know the Lord and the church begins to meet in his house. Paul writes back to him in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and says he's a mighty leader in the church at Corinth. And then a dude named Sosthenes. And we're not going to have time to get to Sosthenes, but over that year and a half, Paul began to invest in this young man, Sosthenes. We don't know a lot about him. We know he faced some tough times. You could read about it in Acts 18. He was persecuted for his faith. Later on, when Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians, he starts the letter by saying, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Paul leaves Corinth, he continues to travel on, and Sosthenes, his new brother in Christ, went with him. Paul had invested in Sosthenes. There was a multiplication, a multiplication, a multiplication of ministry from a place of weariness. There was encouragement, there was faithfulness, and then there was this gospel multiplication that went out of Corinth. Now, from that, I want to ask you to turn your attention to the screen. You're going to see an example of a way that we as a church get to continue to live faithfully and as a church invest in future Sosthenes, (laughs) and future Crispus and future Priscilla's and Aquila's leaders in our church that we get to invest in to see much fruit in years to come. So why don't you go ahead and turn your attention to the screen for just a minute. Hi, my name is Jimmy Vi. I'm a member here at Tri-Cities Baptist, and I work at Ashley Furniture Distribution Center in Johnson City. My family and I are moving to Denver to help plant the Oaks Church, and I joined this cohort to help uh, me gain a greater foundation in God's Word and just to prepare better for ministry and church planning. Uh, Hi, my name is Ron Burnett. I'm a member of Tri-Cities Baptist Church, and I work at Nuclear Fuel Services as an engineer. Uh, My main reasons for doing the cohort are, one, to help my family, Uh, to teach them uh, theological things so that my kids especially learn those at a young age, uh, whereas I didn't learn about those until my mid to late 20s. And the other main reason is to be a resource resource to the church, uh, helping out with life groups and study groups. Hi, my name is Joel Miller. I'm the youth pastor at Heritage Baptist Church. I came into seminary a little backwards. I am a pastor first, and now I am attending seminary. Um, The goal for me is to be a better equipper Um, of the ones that I hope to equip. All right, my name is James Delon. I go to Tri-Cities Baptist Church. I am a mechanical engineer at Eastman Chemical Company, and I am doing the cohort to grow closer to God, but I'm also doing the cohort to gain some training so that way I can use engineering as a platform to go overseas in the future. My name is Real Childress. I serve at Faith Fellowship Baptist Church as a pastoral intern, and also work at Mahoney's part-time. This cohort program can help me refine the tools that God has already given me through the Spirit. Uh, My name is Laura Cabanis. I'm a member at Tri-Cities Baptist Church. I serve here as the student ministry director and I also work part-time at Chick-fil-A. One of the things that I'm most excited for about the cohort program is really just to learn more about Scripture and to learn about God and His attributes and how that can impact my life but also my ministry here. 
Uh, my name is Anthony Keyes, and I'm a member at Tri-Cities Baptist Church, where I serve as one of the worship directors. Um, one of the things that I have loved about being in Cohort 4 is I'm learning so much about the Bible uh, I never knew. Um, it's really opening up the pages of the Bible and opening up uh, my relationship with the Lord more than I ever thought that it would. Hello, my name is Haley Wary. I am a member of Heritage Baptist Church. I work with the college and career ministry there at the church. I'm also involved with First Priority, a ministry in the community that helps students share the gospel at their middle and high school campuses. The uh, cohort is uh, a challenge for me. Uh, I am a ministry veteran of 25 years. I have no Christian education. And as an architecture degree graduate, I am excited about finally getting into learning more about the Bible, growing in my personal life. And it's helping me become a better husband, a better father, a better minister, and a better Christian. I want to hold up an illustration and, and, and let me just try to give you the purpose that you would take strength in the work of the body what we're able to do together as a church and we could pick probably from thousands of examples of how our church is mobilized to really do some things that allows the advancement of the gospel to multiply into our lives into our community around our nation and around the world God, God works through our church to impact the world. Four years ago, for this particular example, four years ago, we started the leadership training program. Uh, partnership with the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's one of the first of its type in the country. And through it, we've been able to make a difference in so many lives, not just here and not just people like you see on this screen, which those are just cohort four. It's just the, it's just the guys that are just now getting started. But we've been able to see guys go through, be trained, and sent out. Many of you have been able to give and support and come alongside of them and encourage them and speak into their lives, and we've seen that multiplication. By the way, if, if you want to give to support uh, the leadership training program, we do that as a church through the Charles Chandler Scholarship Fund, a name that's really fitting for that fund and a name that's fitting for our illustration this morning. I want you to recognize that through just that daily activity of investing in those leaders and building that program and doing that organization day over day, month over month for the last four years, we as a church have been able to send out church planners, pastors, worship leaders. We've equipped uh, uh, people that work in youth ministry and our kids, our deacons, guides, study group teachers. We've sent out so many different types of leaders. We've even equipped just stay-at-home moms and dads who just want to invest in their family as they gain a deeper understanding of who God is and who he's called them to be. And so, again, it's an example. We could have picked many. By the way, some of you are serving in the preschool hall, investing in that kid, and you have no idea what God is doing through that little act of faithfulness to serve that child and their family. So many acts coming together, so many gifts, parts of the body coming together to do extraordinary things, things that frankly go beyond us. And sometimes we just grow weary because we can't see it all. And one of the great things that you just heard, one of those great points to gain strength and overcome our weariness is to focus on the presence of God. 
But see, when we seek the presence of God, let's just be honest, we seek like Red Sea moments, like parting water moments. I like to call them flashy miracles. You know, the kind of things that just happen in our life that are just so huge that it seems obvious that God is at work in our life. But I want you to know that God has made our lives incredibly daily. It's by design. And he is just as miraculously at work through our day-to-day activities to change the world as those Red Sea parting moments. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to see that as a church. We need to begin to stack those things together in our mind that in our weariness, we take strength to recognize that God is doing great things through us. And it doesn't mean that we have to just always go do that grand thing that sometimes we can just recognize that God is present and working to advance his glory through the stay-at-home mom who serves her family glorifying God through a helpful spirit as she raises her children to fear the Lord. The factory worker who serves his mission field glorifying God through a consistent loving testimony in word and deed. The daughter who serves her mother with dementia, setting aside her plans to honor her parents. Listen, the unassuming lay elder who serves his church family for decades, glorifying God through decades of prayer, oversight, and love, whose name perfectly captures a legacy of investing and multiplying leaders across our community, country, and world. See, I want you, believers who are serving, who are striving to be faithful in that day-to-day thing, to leave, not just weary, not just tired, but encouraged that God is big enough and at work in us, through us, literally changing the world. If we would just be reminded of that, we would still be tired, but we would find joy. It's my prayer for us this morning. I want to ask you at this time to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know him as Lord and Savior, I want you to know that Scripture teaches us that Sabbath, that rest only comes through him. He and he alone is the path to peace. And if that's you, I pray that this moment, maybe for the first time in your life, you would pray to the Lord, that you would acknowledge that your sin has separated you from him and that you would repent. In other words, you would turn from the old self and you would turn to saving faith in Jesus. And trust Him as your Redeemer, as your Savior, as your Lord. For those of you here who have a relationship with Jesus, who are grinding, faithfully pursuing Him in the ministry laid before you, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to ask you to do anything beyond this, but if you're in a spot like that and you would just say, Pastor Daniel, I'm tired. 
I, I come here this morning and I'm just weary. Would you just raise your head and just look at me? I just want to pray for you. But I, brother to brother, seeking community, I just want to acknowledge where you're at. You would just say, Daniel, would you just pray for me? I'm tired. Our God is good. We will not gain rest by running from the work that He has laid before us. We will gain rest by trusting Him with it. I want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, we love you. We seek you. Father, I pray that you would give us Sabbath, that you would give us a rest that is beyond circumstance, but is anchored in our abiding relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would give us joy and community within the body of believers that energizes us. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom to see and to worship your presence and activity in our lives, even our daily lives, that we would be reminded that you are working together in us and through us in ways that are beyond our comprehension to advance your gospel, to get your glory throughout our community, throughout our families and around the world. You are changing lives through us. And may it give us of refreshed spirit this morning. I pray this for our church. I pray that we would have energy. Even when we're tired. Even when we're weary. To worship your work and your presence in our life. In the name of your son Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church at this time, I'm going to ask you to stand, just sing, and make this a time of worship, a time of response, a time to acknowledge that God is the source of life, and every good thing we have comes from Him.